0: Welcome to the Green Hospitality podcast. Green Hospitality is an organisation with a primary mission to encourage businesses to work together and bring about innovative solutions to achieve the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Join us as we interview practitioners, experts and academics providing bite-sized advice on how to improve environmental, social, and governance performances in the hospitality and travel industry. Welcome to today's episode of the Green Hospitality podcast about regenerative agriculture. My name is Lucia Loposhova, the Executive Director of Green Hospitality, and I will be your host of this episode. As many current agricultural practices have serious consequences on the environment, including deforestation and soil degradation, the agriculture sector is one of the biggest emitters of carbon dioxide. But despite agriculture's enormous potential to hurt the environment, it also has enormous potential to heal it. Today's guest, Peggy Chen, the Executive Director of Zero Footprint Asia, will share with us how they are helping farmers to work towards the widespread adoption of soil health practices and substantially mitigate climate change. Hi Peggy, please introduce yourself and Zero Footprint
1: Asia to us. I'm Peggy Chan and I was the founder of Grassroots Pantry which was a plant-based, locally sourced, ingredient-focused uh, restaurant here in Hong Kong and recently we started Grassroots Initiatives, which is a consultancy focused on helping food service operators transition to more sustainable operations. And this past year, we've taken on an additional role as executive director and took Zill Foodprint that is based in California, licensed NGO charity over to Asia. We are now basically launching Zill Foodprint in Hong Kong to start and basically branching out in parts of Singapore, Taiwan, and also mainland China.
0: Thanks for introducing us to this. Could you explain to our listeners what regenerative farming is?
1: All right. Well, regenerative farming is an emerging term. It's actually becoming more and more recognized. Just think of organic in its most pure form without the additional lobbies and large companies taking over organics. Uh, So think of organic in its most pure form creators of organic started organic, which was the fundamental hope was that the soil would be healthy. Um, regenerative is a next layer, next level type of uh, way of farming in terms of how we see the planet for the future and how we utilize science and technology to help us now quantify that the better forms of farming has to be non non pesticides non-chemicals, less to no tilling, that it has to be worked uh, in terms of incorporating trees and cover crops and mulching and managed grazing that There's a symbiosis ecosystem involved. So think of permaculture, but on a scientific level and less of the home and spiritual stuff. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Thank you very much for, for the response. Why is investing in regenerative agriculture important?
1: Most of what is currently available and sold on supermarket shelves and that you see in restaurants or low to mid range restaurants are industrialized food meaning they're ingredients that are grown on industrialized commercial farms that have been heavily sprayed that often uses genetically modified seeds that basically has stripped off land ownership from people who essentially work the land to become, to to be stewards of the land. And 90% of industrialized agriculture are growing GMO crops such as corn, corn, rice, wheat, soy, beans is where industrialized agriculture focuses on a lot of these crop materials but 90% of it isn't fed to humans it's grown, fed to animals to breed animals and so it's a it's a very very complex situation and why should we fund regenerative because currently it's only industrialized agriculture that is funded and subsidized by the government and a lot of a lot of lobbyists and when you know you and I we know about organic industry organic foods for the past 50 years, 60 years, but the total amount of certified organic land globally is only 2%. So why is it that it's been so difficult to get people to transition to organic? Because there have been so many barriers and layers of deterrence for people to transition to organic, right? Um, The costs are so hefty to become organic. Just in Hong Kong in the last 10 years, the price to obtain a certification has doubled. So what we're trying to say is we want to decentralize and democratize the food system by creating a renewable food system that rewards farmers for farming better, meaning farming more healthier foods and taking care of our soil and drawing atmospheric carbon from the atmosphere. At the same time, we're allowing them to have fair wages. We're allowing farmers to be, or to see agriculture as a proper career, a a career that they can move forward with, but regenerative agriculture technically don't get that funding. And so our way of seeing this is that we can actually create a renewable food system through Our own model of funding, which is via the restaurant and food retail and service industry.
0: Thank you very much for for the response. What inspired you to start Zero Footprint Asia?
1: I joined Zero Footprint California as a restaurant that went through their life cycle assessment, uh, we were able to ascertain what we were emitting in terms of greenhouse gas emissions per year. As an operation, so it looks into all of your inventory your supply chain looks into your energy waste and water and by that we were able to kind of see an average of how much we were emitting once we know how much we're emitting, that's when we can actually find ways to improve because it's that detailed life cycle. The LCA process is very, very detailed in, in the sense that it shows you that actually most of our, the bulk of greenhouse gas emissions in the food system comes from the supply chain, meaning how land is used, how land change is currently used to for agriculture. And most of it is in how food is grown, how it's processed and such, and not via the end stage, which is what people often think of as like transport, food waste, and obviously the process that requires to create the the dishes. So we joined uh, Zero Print in 2018 back then, and we're pretty much the first restaurant in Asia to become carbon neutral. So we took that fund to basically offset our emissions once we knew how much we were emitting, then we could mitigate that by first and foremost, obviously reducing our emissions however we can, and then to offset it. And our way of offsetting isn't to some random Sri Lankan mangrove that we don't will never visit. Our way of offsetting was to fund it in regenerative agriculture. Okay, so back then we were funding projects or regenerative projects in California and Colorado and so why we decided to bring it to asia is because everybody has to see that we're facing a global issue but we need to create solutions in the local context and asia where we are in hong kong is completely different even the soil is different you know what we grow seasonally is different it's different compared to california so that's why zero footprint i guess we had a really mutual understanding that it was going to happen and it had to happen um, and no better time to happen was to bring it to Asia now. And they also recently just launched the Nordic arm as well as the Deutschland arm as well. Yeah.
0: Thank you for giving us more details about um, the Zero Footprint Asia. Can you share with us how are you crowdfunding for projects, how that works, and what better practices are you actually implementing to reduce carbon emissions?
1: this is a real learning process for myself at the beginning of the year I wanted to kind of test the model to see how strong this practice is because I think that like in the states you'll see a lot of people who uses like kickstarter to crowdfund a creative project it just becomes like something really big and like people just donate directly uh, for a project for a creative purpose so I decided to like get my cookbook and running together and crowdfunded that through Kickstarter and that kind of happened but I realized that the mentality and the culture that we exist in here don't generally know or understand what crowdfunding means you know they they think that anytime I give money it's I'm paying you for a service or a product. And therefore, I expect you to give me a product and service that is a value to this money that I'm giving you, right? I want to support creatives and farmers who are doing good things, regardless of what the end results are, right? So it's a very, very different mentality and something that we need to find out how we will overcome. But the difference is that in with zero Footprint's crowdfunding model, it's an opt-out model. So that means it's by default that 1% of the bill is added to the bill. So the customer can ask to opt out, which very rarely, less than 1% of time, people will opt out because it makes them look really cheap. So, so I should know, well, I guess in a like communications context, it really works. But the amount, the dollar amount is actually very little. When we talk about this 1% pledge, which is the first phase of Zero Footprint Asia, we use this as a catalyst to the next phase, which is the carbon neutrality program. Okay, And the 1% pledge helps us get the conversation started. We want to get people to start talking about why soil, why it matters, why, why it would help draw down carbon from the atmosphere, which is what's creating climate change or causing climate change, um, how the food industry can be a part of it, why it should be a part of it, why having healthier soil means healthier foods. These are not conversations that we have and don't know, it, but interestingly, it's like it's been taught to us through biology class you know. How does carbon get stored in the soil through photosynthesis? But somehow again, we forgot about that. This one percent pledge is really just a a very easy, simple way by utilizing every single transaction made, whether it's in grocery stores or in food retailers or in restaurants and cafes. Um, that thirty-seven dollar flat white it means a thirty-seven cent like donation. You know. And so that's nothing. Even if the operator was to add, increase their price, internalize it, which people always do. Companies always internalize different costs. They they add $1, they add $5 in order to, whether it's price increasing ingredients this year, or it's the supplier has decided to increase the price, therefore it filters down to retailers, they would have to increase prices too, right? Or it could also just be like the business wants to create a larger profit margin because their rent increased. So adding like internalizing costs in order to increase selling price, is very normal. So what we're trying to say is actually that 1% is nothing. So thirty-seven, thirty-seven. that's like not even a dollar, right? So in that sense, um, it doesn't affect the consumer so much because we often worry about when we start to factor in true cost of food, meaning all of the externalities that is involved in growing food and transporting food to you, that all of a sudden it would be three times higher. And how is the customer gonna pay for it? Right. And so rather than it being leaving it up to the companies to decide to internalize and to communicate a true cost in their, in their prices. We're saying that if only everyone adds 1%, utilizing every single transaction and crowdfunding it through that way, you can actually calculate with Hong Kong having 15,000 restaurants, if every single transaction adds 1%, that goes directly to fund regenerative agriculture in the region. How big of an impact is that, right? So just as an example, in California and Colorado this past year, they received some from the restaurants, 1% pledge, some from like personal donations, over 550,000 US dollars that went into 31 different farming projects, which is estimated to sequester 18,000 tons of greenhouse gas emissions. So this is what we mean by the data and the science and the numbers that now we can actually link better soil to solving climate change. And that's pretty much where so Print comes in and how we utilize every single transaction to model people's collective action and model choice architecture for people to really begin to participate uh, without even knowing it. Yeah.
0: Thanks, Peggy. Thanks for the detailed explanation. What's the impact of your work so far? I know that Zero Footprint is a movement um, in other places around the world, so perhaps you can summarize for us what's the potential of this movement in Asia?
1: Sure. Um, Well, we are really just at the starting stage. We just launched in June. So we had seven pilot restaurant partners on board who in the last two months have been kind of rolling out the 1% within their restaurants and the feedback has been really positive. Um, 99% of customers have no problem with it. And what happens is really like once you have this flyer on the table at the uh, end of the bill folder, customers start to see that at the end of the bill, there's a 1%. What is this 1%? They start to ask questions. And with the bill bill folder flyer, they can find out a bit more about regenerative agriculture, and then scan the QR code, go to our website and find out more information. That's how you get the conversation going. And we are really grateful that we have now these restaurants who have come on board to help spread the message, but we're really busy with getting more and more restaurants on board. So in the next month, we should have about 10 to 15 more coming on board, but um, basically our goal at by Q3 of 2022, we would meet, want to have at least 200 restaurants on board. Yeah. In terms of the farms, we're very excited. This afternoon, I'm actually going to get started with visiting one of the pilot farms in Hong Kong. So with our uh, technical advisors, so they are basically regenerative farming experts who are internationally known, who are based in Hong Kong. So I was really stunned and surprised a couple months back when we were doing our research to find out that we actually have people in Hong Kong who are really dedicated to this work. She's already been doing some work with different farms on regenerative uh, practices. And think one of the numbers with, on soil organic carbon increase was 0.6% only after like six months. So I'm always learning. <laughs> this is, yeah, it's a bit nerdy because I'm always learning. I'm not a scientist whatsoever, but I'm, I think that we have to understand the process in order for us to communicate the process because scientists generally speak on a very high level and us laymen can't really understand it. So what we try to do is really just like understand it and then filter it so we can all understand. And then on Friday again to another pilot farm. So these are going to be the two initial pilot farming projects that we will be helping fund and transition to regenerative agriculture and then towards the end of the process which is the next 12 months we will again calculate the soil content to see its increase and then be able to quantify the impact in terms of greenhouse gas sequestration over x amount of years type of thing yeah
0: thank you for elaborating on this topic what possibilities are there for Hong Kong and Asia to get involved in the Zero Footprint movement?
1: Every single opportunity. I mean, like, there's, there's nothing that is going to stop us in terms of how we want to see the world for the future. I think that it is very, very difficult, and I can only imagine young, younger people feeling this way. It's very difficult to wake up and feel that there is hope because of the intensity of the situation and with the IPCC report coming out, with this small window of time of less than eight years, what can we do to quickly draw down carbon? Thank you.
0: What are the biggest challenges that you encountered when you were trying to implement
1: Zero Footprint Asia? The biggest challenge really is that we are not as skilled and informed. And we don't think of the food industry as a food system in itself. We don't have the skilled knowledge and scientists and technicians that focuses on this form of function in our economy, in our society. So what we're doing is really creating the framework to how we would continue to Expand this knowledge, right? So we're surrounded with a group of advisors and board of directors, and obviously the headquarters and the experts around them to guide us in a way. We don't have all the answers, but we are good operators. And I think that we need to take our leverage on our skills and strengths in communications and in operating to work together collectively in order to create more momentum and also to really get people on the ground to start to transition those farms especially those large agri farms the industrial farms to start to grow regeneratively
0: that was our episode on regenerative farming I would like to say thank you to Peggy Chen for sharing the experience and thought with us I hope that you found the content interesting and if you would like to know when the new episode is released, subscribe to our podcast on Green Hospitality's website.